This is the Canucks Central postgame show. Good offensive zone shift for the Canucks early in this scoreless first period. Hughes gets it from Hironic, right circle, makes a move, down the wall, centering pass for Hoaglander, he scores! Niels Hoaglander all alone in the slot, rifles it past Lucas Dostal, and the Canucks take a 1-0 lead, 137 into the first. Kalorn, top of the circle, backhand pass into the slot, Max Jones trying to shot, tip, they score! It deflected to Kalorn in the right circle, and he sweeps it past DeSmith along the ice. The Ducks tie the game at one. With instant reaction from the players and coaches. Miller, carrying back, top of the point to Zadorov, right circle with room, center, Fred Garland scores! Pretty pass from Nikita Zadorov, finds Connor Garland all alone in the middle of the ice, and he chips it over Dostal to give the Canucks a 2-1 lead. Have your say on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks edge the Anaheim Ducks 2-1 as they begin a three-game road trip with a victory against the Ducks. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. We are going to bring in Randy Janda into the conversation in just a moment. You can connect with us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Also hit us up on our Dumbbar lumber text them box 650 650 hey the Canucks win uh it's only their second win in their last eight games you take the victory and it wasn't a a a dominating performance by Vancouver they played their best hockey in the first period I would say hey credit to winning the game but uh maybe too close for comfort there at the very end Vic considering the opponent the Canucks were playing yeah, in theory, but also the Ducks have to actually shoot the puck to try to generate that chance that really make you worried. You- Henrique had the best chance, I guess, on a bumper play, but overall, that was like the least threatening comeback attempt I've seen in a while. Listen, I- it's a bold decision to try to score by not shooting the puck. If you hold on to the puck for two minutes and time runs out, do you get a goal? Yeah, you, you know the phrase of like you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't Back take. To the center, they, they, they- center holds it. <laughs> Holds it. Holds it. Yeah, yeah it, was, exactly it was a lot of like that. that. It was a lot of that. It, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of that. Now, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. We'll get to more of your reaction on the text inbox and the phone boards as the post-game show goes on. But, Randeep, um, listen, hey, you take the victory, and, and I thought the Canucks played really well in the first period. I mean, they were, you know, I wouldn't say outright dominant, but, you know, they outshot them. First fi- period they were. Yeah, 15-3 were the shots. 4 nothing high-danger scoring chances in favor of Vancouver 5-on-5 uh, five five in that first period as well. And after that, it was pretty even affair from that point on. Yeah, it wasn't the, the dominant, you know, if you're looking for a 4 nothing victory in this game, you didn't get that. You got a 2-1 victory. Uh, but overall... You know, this was, uh, uh, first and foremost, the Canucks needed a win, right? So to get the two points is most important, even though they're one of the top teams in the league. When you're in a slump, you've only won one game of the last seven. Uh, You want to just be able to grind out the two points. So I'm with you guys. I thought the first period was excellent, uh, where unlucky, you know, that shot that Max Jones takes pops off Ian Cole and is eventually scored by uh, Alex Kalorn. So if anything, uh, you probably feel a little unlucky that it's a tie game after 20. But after that, yeah, there's some moments where there are a couple of breakdowns. Puck management wasn't great. You get that goal from Connor Garland early on in the period, though, at the end of the power play. And you manage that game. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't a Picasso. But at this point in time, 
after the seven games that they've had. I think just getting the two points, feeling good about yourself, and going to L.A. where they're obviously going to have to up their game. We know what L.A. did against Vancouver in the last game, and today as well, L.A. you know mopped the floor with the New Jersey Devils, another 5-1 game. So they're going to have to up it for the next game for sure. All right, Randy, when you uh, put pen to paper on $92.8 million, the focus is going to go right to you. Uh, how did uh, Elias Pettersson play in your eyes? Bix yeah, already like pointing to the money. He's like, you got $93 million. I need more out of you. No, I just, I just <laughs> yeah. want to know, like, what was the burden of expectation lifted off all of a sudden? Well, okay, that line as a total was, you know, when the numbers and you start looking at the way that they played, they played well, right? That was probably the Canucks' best line of the night in terms of creating chances, and I think a lot of that, to me, uh, was Niels Hoaglander. I thought Niels Hoaglander had a heck of a game, but if we're focusing on on Elias Patterson right now, I thought he had a good game, you know, 18 minutes in ice, and just in general, uh, looking looking like the distributor in the neutral zone that you want to see at certain points, but there was still, it wasn't a perfect game. There's a couple of moments maybe he hangs onto the puck a little too long. Uh, there's maybe a, a giveaway, you know, near the, the wall that leads to a transition chance. That happens, That he wasn't the only Canuck, but as a total, guys, as in totality, that line I thought was really, really strong. They work well off of each other. And Elias Pettersson, of course, anytime he's on a line, he's the center of it. So um, you didn't necessarily get the five-on-five goal you wanted uh, from from that trio as a, as a unit together. They actually gave one up. Um, but overall, I thought it was better from that line. But you're going to have to up your game uh, for the next two, right? I mentioned L.A. You got Vegas after that yeah. as well. Well, you know, so Niels Hoaglander gets the first goal for the Canucks. Hughes and Hironic assist on that one. And the game-winning goal is Connor Garland, Zadorov, and J.T. Miller get the helpers on that one. And as far as Niels Hoaglander was concerned, I thought he was an absolute force on the forecheck, especially in the first period. I mean, that first goal gets scored by some great work by the entire unit. They, they kept the puck almost 90 seconds in the Ducks' end, and it was all five guys, but Hoaglander specifically was forechecking well, and it was just dessert for him to get the goal after some great stick work from Quinn Hughes to find him in the slot. And it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about Hoaglander playing up the lineup. This is one of those games where he really was the driver on that line on the wing for much of the night. He was. This was, I think, one of his best games of the year, if not the best. You know, he's had multi-goal games, but being engaged the entire way through, being an absolute menace on the forecheck. And you mentioned that goal where, yeah, he does start off the play. I think it's right before the Canucks are able to hem in the Anaheim Ducks in their own zone. It's a simple play where Olin Zellweger thinks he has time and space, and then Hoaglander closes so quickly that Zellweger can't make that play. So to me, you know, it ended up starting right there and then, and then the Vancouver Canucks start to dominate. You mentioned it. Hughes makes that, just that, you know, just slippery play, just so smooth of just changing up the angle. He's facing towards the middle of the ice, then ends up making a backhand pass to Hoaglander, who's got all the time in the world. But guys, you know, I've often talked about how I think Hoaglander's ideal spot is on a third, fourth line because this is a guy that just plays so well down there. He helps to drive that play. But if you're on the the side of Niels Hoaglander deserves to be in the top six. Today was probably your game where you're focusing on, hey, this is what he can do. This is the type of difference he can make. Um, but yeah, Niels Hoaglander, to me, I thought he was the best player on the ice for the Vancouver Canucks. Him and Connor Garland had a strong game, but especially Niels, where when you're talking about playing reckless, you're talking about playing, you know, uh, in a good way, I mean, and playing engaged. And if you're in Vasily Pod Golson and you're saying, hey, we want you to match that energy, that Niels Hoaglander, who was in your exact same spot last year, He's bringing it this year. Do that. Be that type of player that can create havoc. 
Well, the thing too with Hoaglander is, and, and Rick Taka keeps referencing it, is is how many minutes, right? And you think, hey, he was fantastic tonight, and he was, and it's twelve forty one, right? And it's mm-hmm. it, it's a not really a top play six special role. teams though. No, I yeah. know, but it's the coach kind of goes out of his way to not play him more than you know thirteen minutes, and he feels he's at his most effective at that, and. It's it just interesting to look that like Vasily put Coles in right there at twelve thirty nine. Um, it, it just strikes me as interesting that uh, the the minutes are often suppressed um, for for Nils Hoaglander. Well, you know he had his uh, probably one of his best games of the year, but I think there is a couple of things in his game where you know you're talking about the puck management, which he had a couple of moments in today's game too. Which if you're Rick Tockett, you're just saying, all right, I want you to clean that up before I really. Uh, you know, lean into giving you more minutes. And guys, when we start talking about the, you know, post-trade deadline, and this is why I think your point about 1241 is an important one. Is this a, a temporary role in the top six? Do, you know, is Patrick Alvin have something else cooking? Because uh, you can't necessarily keep a guy, I think, at that ice time in the playoffs, where if he's in your top six, you're probably going to need him to play a little bit more, whether it's 15 or 16 minutes. It's it's tough to keep a, a top six player, especially when you stop rolling lines maybe in a, a seven-game series where you need to lean on a couple of your lines. Um, you're going to have to either give him a little bit more or bring in a player that can play in that role and then Niels can play maybe that 11 to 12 minute energy role mm-hmm. a little bit further down the lineup. So yeah, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that ice time just based on the fact that, you know, as the season goes on and if he's able to etch out a role in the top six, you're going to have to bump it up a little bit or you're going to have to make a move where you can kind of shuffle him down the lineup a little bit where he's been thriving there this year as well. Quinn Hughes, uh, we have a text coming in here, 650-650. You referenced it really quickly. But, TJ, in Lethbridge, there will be a street named after Quinn Hughes one day. Just you watch. Uh, He was back to being his fantastic self tonight. Yeah, there's going to be a street, maybe even a city, if he keeps on uh, (laughs) playing this way based on – I don't know if they're discovering any new cities in B.C., but Quinn Hughes, um, just that play was – yeah, it was just the way that, you know – the Ducks players are just anticipating him to go down, uh, you know, and keep that body open, automatically just switches that angle on him. And really, they have no idea how to react. And that's why Neil Toglander, like Vetrano on the play, thinks he has time, thinks he can kind of skate in somewhat, you know, maybe not full speed, and he can close on Hoaglander. But the the speed at which Quinn Hughes makes that play uh, ends up just you know, keeping those guys essentially flat-footed and they don't know what hit him. So for me, I think Quinn was that play for sure, but – the ability to get pucks through guys. He was a lot more aggressive. And a part of this is maybe Anaheim gave him a little bit more of the middle of the ice than some other teams have. But what I did like was that he had four shots on goal. And I think he had uh, another six attempts on top of that where he's trying to get pucks through. And that's one of the things this team has missed in the last six or seven games. We haven't seen that so much from Quinn where sure Anaheim doesn't, you know, they're not, they're not a good defensive team. Let's call it it is what it is right They're They've got a minus what 54 goal differential now. So you take what the team gives you, but the ability to take that now to build us some confidence after this as you do play some tougher opposition. Uh, absolutely. And that's where they're going to have to raise their level against L.A. on Tuesday and then all, when, when you close out the road trip in Vegas against the Golden Knights. So it's not going to get easier before they come back. And then they face the big, heavy Winnipeg Jets who we saw uh, a couple weeks back against the Canucks as well. So it's not an easy road here, and it's going to be more challenging. But the other thing I wanted to get your thoughts on here, or other player I wanted to get your thoughts on here, is Vasily Putkolzin. And mm-hmm. I thought that for 
his first game this season. He acquitted himself well. And, you know, Bick was mentioning the ice time. Five on five played just as much as Niels Hoaglander did, which shows the coach right away felt pretty good trust in the player. Yeah, I think the first thing that we were all going to focus on was the forecheck, right? On that line with Lindholm and Garland, can you get to your spots? Can you get home and can you create some disruption? He was able to do that. Uh, There was moments throughout the game where you're saying, all right, he's engaged in a battle. He's getting there. He's not looking slow on the play. He's not looking like he's being out-muscled on the play. He's engaged. He's winning some puck battles. The, the next thing was, you know, early in the game we saw it. We didn't maybe see it later on in the game, but there was an opportunity. He got in the slot, and there was no hesitation. Quick trigger, ends up going wide, but, you know, that's something that Rick Tockett mentioned where you want the guy to shoot when he had an opportunity in, in that area. Uh, he was able to make it happen. And, guys, the other thing was making plays. He set up, you know, Connor Garland for a couple of looks today, which is something that, you know, that chemistry of Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland, like, it was special when they were clicking, the best third line in hockey. And Archie Bance, as well as he played in certain spots and the effort that he put in, uh, there was simply no no chemistry on that line. And we saw that in the L.A. game especially, where here is Pod Colson, you saw something. You saw them working a little bit off the cycle. You saw them being a danger in the slot. And that's where I look at, you know, Pod Colson's at least first game, you can say, He's looking confident, he's looking engaged, and that's what you need in that role. So a good start from him. Well, for me, the big thing, too, is playing with Lindholm. Uh, the the forecheck was going to be big, but also how are you in the defensive zone? And mm-hmm. there were multiple moments where he picked off a pass, just very aware, and showing a lot of restraint, right? Like, mm-hmm. not not just wandering around trying to pick up anything. Like, i got to focus on what I'm supposed to be focused on and staying true to just put a little bit of pressure on the boards, but then making sure he's there tight to the point as well. And, you know, that really comes down to last year you could see maybe a player that was unsure of themselves. And, listen, he's played one game. It's been a good start. But when you pick up 28 points in 44 games in the A, uh, that's half of the story. The other half is playing that system, understanding where you need to be. This is not, you know, being thrown into the deep end in the sense that you haven't played this before. You don't understand what the organization values. So having that experience in the AHL to understand, to say, hey, I've done this before. It's a different level. But unlike last year, maybe when I was overthinking the process, I know where I need to be. I know where my spots are on the offensive side of things, but also defensively, I got to do my job. And that's, you know, after one game, Vasily Podkolzin, uh, we'll see where this leads. I, I think, you know, he's a player that a lot of people have been over the last year or so, they've been cheering for because mm-hmm. he's a kid that's just trying to make this team. He's got all the physical tools. And sometimes, maybe in the past, he's cared so much, it's been a detriment. Uh, but it through one game, it just seems so natural. And Vic, your point about the defensive zone as well. Yeah, hey, I'm going to do what I need to do. And it was, uh, you know, a pleasant thing to see, which is, you know, like I said, a lot of folks in Abbotsford and Vancouver are, are cheering for the kid because he's got a lot of potential. Connor Garland gets the game-winning goal and is his first goal in, I think, what is it, almost uh, nine, eight games. First goal in eight games. Only had one point in the last seven games leading into tonight. Gets the game-winning goal. And you mentioned him playing with Lindholm and with... Um, Vasily Podkolzin, of course, gets on the power play as well. I thought he had a pretty active game again, Connor Garland. It was nice to see him get a, get something again because he's been pretty quiet ever since Dakota Joshua went out of the lineup. Yeah, the goal was one thing, which is a great you know deflection, great tip to where Zadorov's got his head up and just Garland opens up the body. But guys, even beyond that, you know him 
being as a supporting forward on the forecheck, and I remember, I think it was a play, I forget who was involved in the play, but Garland's the second forward in, ends up disrupting along the wall, and that creates a possession for the Canucks uh, for another 30 seconds. They have a couple of dangerous moments where he was really, really engaged, and for a couple of games, hadn't really necessarily seen that Connor Garland. There was another opportunity in the second period where he sets up Phil Giuseppe for two chances, and two great saves by Lucas Dostal, uh, the original chance of PDG going in and then the double save on the rebound. But there's you saw Garland as a finisher, a four-checker, and a playmaker in this game. And, you know, the more you can get that together, that, that speaks to me as a couple of things. A, his confidence. Uh, when you get that first one, you just you feel better about yourself. The other thing is, I think that trio was just clicking tonight. Lindholm was a little bit more engaged. Uh, Pod Colson we talked about where it was a good debut for him this year. But when you can feel some confidence, you can feel some chemistry in the line. Uh, Connor Garland, he's, you know, working his tail off most games. But sometimes you get frustrated when you just can't execute. The passes are not going your way. Maybe there's players, uh, you know, running into each other. You're not necessarily uh, finding that chemistry. I felt like this was a much more confident Connor Garland. And you could see, especially the second period on, uh, he was on his game. With the way the lineup is right now, uh, I, I know I, I harp on this three centers thing quite a bit here, guys. But with the yeah. way the lineup is right now, do they have like one line? I, I, I you know, the the point Sad always makes is at least Lindholm's there to be the matchup line. But do they have one line that can take over a shift? I, I feel like that's the part that's still missing here. Yeah. Anaheim is one thing, right? Because I think uh-huh. we all understand that, hey, you know, just because Hoaglander, Pedersen, and Suter can dominate in a game like today, uh, the real test is going to be when you're playing playoff teams. But that level of can you have one team that's going to, or one line that's going to take over. And as of right now, the way it's constructed, uh, you know, against playoff opposition, that one, when they're going, I would like to say, and even with Pew Suter, Miller, Besser, and Suter have that element. I think we've seen it over the last little bit where, when JT Miller is on his game, he's a tough man to stop. And when Besser is playing to this level where he's a streaky goal scorer and you get the right you know, player playing alongside them, uh, like a Pew Suter in certain stretches, I think that can be a line that can take over just based on the way that they play. But here's the problem. You kind of need Pew Suter in multiple spots right now because it feels like you're short a winger. So you know, maybe not as dynamic with McKayev, although McKayev had a couple of looks. There was that pass cross-ice feed from JT Miller and you know if Mikheyev ends up scoring that we're talking about a a great find from JT and maybe this team this line's got some chemistry but in terms of taking over a game I look at that line and I say all right if you put Suter there I can see them being really really good and they have been really really good if you start looking at the underlying numbers but the Pedersen one I, I do still feel like you're looking for something there you're still looking for a certain type of player maybe with some hard skill maybe with somebody who can get on the inside that can just take it to the next level. Before we let you go, Randeep, Casey the Smith gets the victory, his first win in, in five starts. Um, we, we were talking about this on the, on the pregame show. You can look at his last six starts in, in two ways. You can say he only had one win in five in, in those six starts, or you could say he picked up points in four out of those six games. So it really depends if you want to be half glass half full or, or glass half empty. But what did you think of the way he played tonight, only allowing the one goal? Yeah, and that goal was, he nearly got it, even though it was a broken play. So I thought, you know, this is a tough situation for A, a goalie who hasn't played Uh, since that Minnesota game. And then you end up playing a period where, what, the Anaheim Ducks had three shots on goal and one of them ends up behind you, right, after an unlucky bounce off of Ian Cole. So so to me, you know, you look at the 18 shots on goal that Anaheim had, the allow one goal there, um, he made the saves that he needed to make for the rest of the way. 
And we'll see what happens because now you're looking at some really, really strong teams that Vancouver is going to play. So you do start to wonder, um, you know, when is Casey DeSmith going to play? Um, you don't have many back-to-backs, if I'm not mistaken. I believe they have one left um, for the season. And so you're going to probably get some looks, maybe one or two looks against some really good teams. Uh, definitely a little bit later on, uh, you've got – uh, Canadians and, and Buffalo on the, the schedule too. But tonight's game, I, he did what he needed to do. Uh, the goal was unlucky, but this is kind of what you need from KFC to Smith, where no bad goals given up. And that goal that he gave up, it wasn't. And that's really the backup job. Can you keep your team in it and don't give up any bad goals? That's exactly what he did. Randy, great stuff as always. Calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor. We look forward to chatting with you on Tuesday, 7.30 puck drop in LA against the Kings. It'll be a late one, but we look forward to it nonetheless. All right, none of us go to sleep early anyways. It's all good going. <laughs> exactly. You got Here's- it. You got it. That's Randy Janda calling the game alongside Batch. And a 2-1 Canucks win in Anaheim against the Ducks. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. We do have a lot of reaction on the text inbox after the Canucks win this game. And a bit of mixed reviews, right? And, you know, some texting in saying, hey, they glad they won. Mm-hmm. You beat the Ducks. They played well and needed the win and all that. Like This one says, okay, got the win. Needed this one for sure. Mind you, only the Ducks. Canucks too, too predictable now. Think other teams kind of figured us out. Little pressure on us, and we usually fall apart. Not good for any playoff push. Definitely not the same team I saw earlier this season. So there is some concern. Um, and, and people are also very impatient, like Kevin from Kelowna, who probably just texted in, or just tuned in, says, wow, seems like the last thing you guys are mentioning on this barely beat the worst team in the league is Petey. He was still ineffective and did not help the try. Don't his... put the tone in Kevin's voice. No, I know. I mean, Come I, on. I, Re- I, read it square. No, no. To me, it, it comes off as, because literally we started <laughs> off. And here's, here's the thing I find really funny, too, is that the Canucks mm. won a game 2-1, right? Yeah. They won the hockey game. They won the hockey game. We can talk about this. We are going to get to some struggles, no doubt. They won the hockey game. Should we start the post game? Should we be like, oh my God, Pedersen, 93 million, barely beat the Ducks 2 1. Boring. Is that what Come we should on, do? Come do something. Yeah. Sounded like me last Saturday. Yeah, they won 2 1. So you know what? Like, let's talk about what went wrong in the victory right off the bat. Let, let's, let's send Pedersen back. You know his trade, no trade clause doesn't kick in for two years. <laughs> trade him now. Why wait? Oh. Like 20 minutes into the post. Just relax. They won the hockey game. Do you think they could get a conditional seventh-round pick before uh, his, his no-movement clause kicks in? I don't know. All I know is that people are just warped right now. Just <laughs> Everyone needs to relax, all right? Everyone needs to relax. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. Um, let's run through the goals really quickly. The first goal was scored by some incredible work from uh, that entire line as a whole. Niels Hoaglander, mm-hmm. Pew Suter, Elias Patterson. They're really good on a cycle. Hoaglander was a menace getting in the forecheck, winning a couple pucks. But the interplay with Hughes and Heronic and Hughes, namely, taking guys on, creating space, and setting up Hoaglander. I mean, the Canucks only scored two goals, both through beauties, and the first one was a highlight real goal. Yeah, just an overwhelming shift by that line, and, and a lot of credit to Nils Hoaglander, who gets his reward uh, for it, because he's bursts in, he's first one there, puts a hit on Zellweger, then wins a battle versus him again along the boards, and Hughes' assist comes after Hronik doing the exact same thing on Troy Terry. Now, it wasn't as fancy as him opening up the hips and faking out Vetrano, but he just burned Terry, and he threw one in front, and it went straight through, and it came around, and eventually they work it around mm. again, and this time, Hronik does a spinning pass all the way across, 
perfectly yeah. accurate. Hughes takes it in stride, opens up the hips, looks like he's going to pass high slot or top circles, and Vetrano's kind of in between, and then he goes right around Vetrano, and Fowler has to come over and commit to him. He's got to peel off Hoaglander, and Hoaglander's in space, and Quinn Hughes finds him perfectly. And Dostal, I guess, misreads it a little bit because he came hard off of the post, and Hoaglander uh, able to put it in. Just fantastic work by Hughes. And Hughes and Roenick, in that first period in particular, they had multiple passes to each other in the offensive zone. Hughes hit one that was, like, parallel to the blue line, and it was not a lot of space there because there was two Ducks players up top. And it went straight across with speed, perfectly to Ronick. It looked like a dangerous yeah. pass, and it was just on the money. And it was one of those passes you look at, like, all right, Hughes is on it tonight. As much as the highlight was nice and the assist was fantastic, there were multiple passes by Quinn Hughes tonight that last game, the team overall struggled passing the puck. Hughes was phenomenal with it tonight. You needed a leadership performance from him in a, in a facet of the game that he's going to be strong in. Queen Hughes was spectacular in that tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with Hughes, the biggest difference between this game and the last game, and it was even against the Kings, and I know the Kings played well, but even at times when he wasn't pressured, he was losing the puck, he was mishandling it, he wasn't sharp handling the puck, and that's something you're not accustomed to seeing from Queen Hughes. That sharpness was certainly back, and hopefully something he keeps building on. But fantastic work for him there. Now, the 1-1 goal, I see people texting in too and saying, uh, you know, what was Pedersen doing on that goal? The uh, Pedersen's high, uh, what, where's the, where's Pedersen's high hockey IQ when he just left his check on the Ducks goal? Well, the Ducks goal, let's break through this goal as well. It's actually a shot that deflects off Ian Cole by Jones and then lands on Alex Killorn. Like Petey's going to the middle of the ice to, to yeah, follow but the play it, along. To be fair, if Pedersen breaks out the protractor and measures it off Jones's skate and also <laughs> Ian Cole's skate and looks at the uh, Pythagorean theorem of it going to. Well, if he had the on. angle right, I mean, the, oh the, my goodness. The puck bounced off the guy's. off Ian Cole and fell on oh Alex Killorn's stick. Yeah. It's, it's a bouncing puck. It's a bouncing puck. Protractor, what's the other one? Like like the, the, the twirling one. Don't let's not do math. No, but it's not math. It's, it's, it's part of math. I don't know, it's man. It's the instrument. <laughs> Calculates the, the radius, doesn't it? <laughs> Something along those things. All right. Uh, a lot of stuff coming in on the text inbox, which we'll get to, but so that's the one one goal, uh, and a bit of a lucky bounce. The two one goal comes off another real nice passing play. Great interchange from JT Miller and uh, Nikita Zadorov, who then finds Connor Garland. Uh, who tips it in, but it was really good work, and I know you wanted to highlight this too. JT Miller driving across drags two Anaheim Ducks players with him, which opens up the space for Zadorov to attack. Yeah, it's, it's JT coming from the, the, the circles, basically, back up the ice, and you see this play so often with the Canucks, and it's usually Quinn Hughes taking that exchange, but he leaves it for Zadorov, but the guy carrying with um, JT, I want to say it was uh, Minchikov, and then the guy with um, Zadorov, yeah. I believe it was Silverberg, they both go with JT. And so Zadorov gets to walk down the uh, right flank into that top of the circles, and all of a sudden Lundestrom's with Garland in the, in the bumper spot, and he's thinking, do I stay, do I go after Zadorov, who looks like he's loading up a shot. So Lundestrom comes off of Garland, and right as soon as he does, yeah. Zadorov recognizes it, feeds it straight through the Garland, who kind of opens up the blade and 
it was it was such a nice deflection. Yeah, great by deflection. Garland, yeah. And I mean, and the way he opened up to receive the pass too was a fantastic uh, play by him as well. So great stuff from uh, Connor Garland uh, to make it two one. And that is your game winning goal. Both the plays were off beautiful passing plays, and that's how the Canucks won. But weren't able to generate enough offense overall. But the, the one thing that I did like about a couple of the chances that they did have, they probably could have still made it more. Then 2-1, they probably had another goal in them. In the third, two, I think the best scoring chance they had was uh, the Miller set up to Ilya Mikheyev net front who couldn't jam it in. Yeah, that one was very unlucky. And and, and even that one, too, with Mikheyev and, and how they set that one up, uh, he works it with Miller in the corner. And Mikheyev does, like, the big swoop all the way around the circle to try to get to the far post, taking the defender with them. And... You probably just need a better attempt on it, right? Kind of goes off the heel and mm-hmm. doesn't really get a a true attempt on goal. It, it, it's just unlucky. Like it, it's that sort of stuff where McKay like constantly put himself himself in the, in good spots and in right spots. He even had a trailer opportunity where he was a th- uh, the third man there, uh, and Besser I think hit him, and it's just a quick shot. Dostal is there to save it. He's he's getting in good spots, yeah, but it's kind of the Ilya McKay story. Can't score. That's the red the light big... has to go on at some point. Uh, people are texting in uh, Austin and Langley. It's Compass. They Compass, make yes. I, I want to credit Eddie Gregory, who uh, jumped in my ear. Yeah, Compass. There uh, we go. With, with Compass, yes. Like I said, don't ask me. I'm not here to do math. <laughs> at least not on the show. It's really bad when that happens. All right. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And uh, to really irk the people who want Pedersen criticized. We'll talk about how good that line was on the other side. Keep your thoughts coming in or text in the box and grab a phone line on dispatch plumbing and heating and air conditioning hotline. The first call, the only call, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number five orange, a Vancouver legend. They've got sports too. More coming up next on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Heronic, now to Hughes, right side, low shot deflected wide by Hoaglander in front, but he recovers it behind the net. Good offensive zone shift for the Canucks early in this scoreless first period. Hughes gets it from Heronic, right circle, makes a move, down the wall, centering pass for Hoaglander, he scores! Niels Hoaglander all alone in the slot, rifles it past Lucas Dostal, and the Canucks take a 1-0 lead, 137 into the first. Niels Hoaglander gets the goal, but what a play by Quinn Hughes to work his way down on the right-hand side after getting a feed from Philip Ronick and angles his body towards the, the left half wall and then cuts to the other side, directs himself to the front of the net and ends up making a nice pass on the backhand to Niels Hoaglander, who's all by himself, is able to pick a corner, but that's the shiftiness of Quinn Hughes that ends up creating an excellent assist to make this game 1-0. Canucks win 2-1 against the Anaheim Ducks on the road, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And um, 
we are going to get to the thoughts of the head coach coming up in a few moments too, and we'll get to player reaction as well as the show goes on. We do have a lot of questions and comments coming in. And the Canucks' best line tonight was the Patterson, Niels Hoaglander, and Pew Suter line. They spent um, the, majority, the majority of the time in the Ducks' end. So as a, as a line, they controlled 76% of the shots in this game. They created six high-danger scoring chances, none against one of the most dominant performances we've seen in terms of numbers by a Canucks line in a single game, but didn't quite generate more than you know um, the goal that they did score. Um, but outside of that... I thought it was an overall very strong game. And the best player on that line tonight clearly was Niels Hoaglander. He really made things happen. But I did think in terms of how Hoaglander played off Pedersen and how Pugh Suter played, I think all three players had a solid game playing together. It wasn't the flashiest game by Pedersen, of course, but it wasn't like he had a bad game. I thought that line, he was a big part of that line having success. So I understand people were like, you know, want to see more from Pedersen. And I think we all agree for a guy that we know is capable of more, he hasn't been at the level that, you want to see mm-hmm. him at, and he himself admitted that his game hasn't been there, and we were hopeful that tonight he would make a real statement. It wasn't a real statement from him from an individual basis, but in terms of playing on that line and the way Hoaglander was going, that trio was fantastic. So I just find it, when, when a trio's fantastic, and yeah, you can say Hoaglander had the best night, like, should we tar and feather Pedersen? Like, I, I just don't, I, I get it. You can ask for more, but this whole reaction that's coming in about, he's bad, he's terrible, you gotta rip him, it's like, that line was good. They they were the best line the Canucks had in the game. They won two one. Uh, yeah, it, it's and the thing too, it's odd to me is that it's a team game. You're meant to see the team win. There's focuses on individual players, of course, but this overvaluation of constant consideration of individual players, no matter the result, is a thing that. Uh, irks me at times mm-hmm. and in a game where you're talking about the Canucks 2-1 and on this march to the playoffs and what does it mean uh you, you're not going to get uh, 10 out of 10 performances every single night yeah it's 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 way too big of a demand because then come game one of these playoffs you, your players are going to be dog tired yeah you'll be like oh you're not clutch i would say though like his his stretch has gone longer than just a couple of games right where he sure. hasn't been sharp and that's the one thing you want to see not him but not again, go through as long a stretch bad to me implies like at fault defensively a lot of players just have average nights man just average nights bad to me is you're hurting your team Elias Patterson today had like a so a slightly above average night wasn't Banner. Not going to be filling the, the, the highlight reels today. His team won the game. He was on the right side a lot this evening. The Canucks had one quality scoring chance on the power play, and they spent almost four minutes on the power play, and the player who created that chance was Pedersen finding uh, mm-hmm. Connor Garland. That's the only high-danger chance the Canucks created uh, five on on the power play, and that's the one Elias Pedersen created. And there's uh, another couple of chances he was involved in as well, so uh, I just don't know. You know, like if if this is the game, he's got to slap a spleen at center ice and be like, "I'm doing it for for my organs and and y'all. I'm, I'm I'm showing what I'm about tonight." This wasn't the paint the flag. This this wasn't the the plant a flag game, one way or another. You know what I mean? You can't make ninety three million dollars in one night, Sat. 
<laughs> can't make up for it in one night. Yeah. I guess it is too much to ask. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox. This one here says, you guys need to stop saying Mikheyev is unlucky. Why tiptoeing around this guy? When a player plays with good players and gets a lot of chances, still doesn't score thir- in 30-plus games. It's not unlucky. It's the player is just plain bad. That's Mark and White Rock. I mean, the whole tiptoeing thing is ridiculous because, I mean, we mentioned the other game, maybe he should be healthy scratched. Like, we've been talking about this now. Numerous post-game shows, Mark. I know people just listen here and there but at times, but we've talked about maybe he needs a healthy scratch. And if you look at the players who have been healthy scratched, you can justify others. And this one you can justify far easier than some of the ones that have been healthy scratched. Clearly, they're not ready yet to go down that route. But it's also one of the both things can be true at the same time. He can be better. He probably deserves a healthy scratch. He has also been unlucky at times. He's had a few goalposts. He's had a few shots not find the back of the net. He's really snake bitten right now, but he's also not playing his best hockey. And I do agree that I, I didn't think that line was overly effective. Mikheyev with uh, Miller and Besser tonight. They had a couple moments. Uh, the best chance that line had was actually the best line a player, the best chance a player on that line had was Mikheyev. Mm-hmm. The other one was Besser, and he wasn't even on that line when he had that chance. It was when he jumped in and off a change and Podkolzin was already on the ice with the other line. So. I did think he struggled overall tonight, and I think his speed, getting on the forecheck, getting pucks deep, and and hounding guys, that part of his game really hasn't been there. The reason I say unlucky is this. So Ilya Mikheyev has .44 points per game, which is below his recent seasons, right? Mm -hmm. He was starting to come on late in Toronto, had a fantastic year last year with the injury. It it was his best uh, season-producing points. So it's .44 points per game right now. Guess who has the exact same points per game? Who? Nils Hoaglander. Huh. Exact same, 0.44. Nils Hoaglander's shooting percentage is 20.8. Ilya Mikheyev is 8.7. There is luck involved in that. A little bit. Some of it is. A little bit. Connor Garland's at 0.46 points per game, right? It's fine measures. He's, He's not scoring. Like, we're not hiding from it. He's not scoring. Yeah. Absolutely. We've talked that he deserves to go down the lineup. Yeah. But... To dismiss it as just, oh, he's a bad player. He's not. He's not a bad player. He's not a bad player. He's having a bad season, and I do think he doesn't look confident in his knee. Like, he doesn't have the same burst and explosiveness. And, I've, you know, we've debated a couple times where we've seen him not cut to the net. And my belief is, because I don't see him getting low mm-hmm. and digging in, that he doesn't trust his knee as much. And sometimes coming off those injuries, you hear players talk about that, gaining that trust and Takes confidence. A year, right? Like, for instance, Josh Norris this year, remember him mm-hmm. with the uh, Ottawa Senators? He was he had a clean bill of health, and but he mentally was in his own head he, where he couldn't play. He wasn't ready to get, a, to get on the ice and play despite the fact that he was cleared. He didn't have the confidence in his knee, and he got banged up again. He kind of had to fight through it. Now he's injured again, but he really had to spend most of the season just fighting through the confidence to be able to play coming off an, an unstable knee like that. So I think a lot of that is going on. But the reality is that's an excuse because the team has to win. So what can he help to provide the team to win? And that's where he's got to get a lot better overall than what he's shown so far. The question is, is he going to be able to do that this year? Or is it going to be something he's going to have to tackle and be ready for next season? And I think that's the biggest question to have with McCabe. Can he find his game this year and heading into the playoffs if he's here? Uh, 650-650, you can tell injuries are hurting this team right now. Myers' absence uh, was not felt, but noticed. Uh, Mark Friedman tonight uh, does wind up playing twelve fifty four, uh, kind of a box 
sheet star today. One shot, one attempt, one miss, one hit, one giveaway, uh, featuring no hits or blocked shots from Mark Friedman. But I think the moment he was called on, he had to race back for a puck, and he did win a, a race. Uh, aside from that, didn't really notice him positively or negatively. I don't think he really did anything to hurt the team, and yeah. that's really all I was looking at. For a guy who's seldom played, and we know he's mm-hmm. very much just a depth defenseman, I didn't notice him doing anything to really hurt the team tonight. We had a text here, though, uh, about Ian Cole. Uh, this one here says, let me see if I can find it. What did you guys think of Ian Cole's game? Feels like he needs another sit-down game. Does not look the same as before. He looks labored. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who's been a terrific addition to this team. And I think for maybe, what, 50 games, 45 games, he had been fantastic for this team. It's really waning. And I wonder if the wear and tear of the season and the mileage is starting to get to him now. I mean, he's not the youngest player. Could he use a day off? I don't mean healthy scratch because, hey, he's been bad. But right now you can't afford to because you, know, you have Irwin being the other option. Susie's not ready yet. But if you get healthy... I think that's the one guy that I'd like to see get some rest before the playoffs because they're going to need to lean on him. And right now, his game's really not where it needs to be at. Yeah, once they get healthy along the back end, uh, now it's going to be tough, obviously, with Myers being week to week. But if if Susie comes back and just holds on some minutes as well for Ian Cole, uh, he ends up playing fourteen. No, no, sorry, he ends up playing nineteen thirty three tonight. So we got a lot of usage uh, in the third period then. Um, yeah, he winds up playing seven minutes and 30 seconds in the third period. So Ian Cole entrusted late in game still, uh, despite you know some slippage in the game. But right now, uh, there's like the four mainstay demon that they're going to rely on. Uh, Noah Juleson tonight, uh, 17-52. Six hits for Noah Juleson. He's become like the new Luke Shen. Just making sure that number in the hit column is uh, climbing. Yeah, uh, he led the way for the team and hits in a big way tonight. The team had 15 total. Uh, Noah Juleson has six, but Ian Cole, but just back on him. Uh, tonight was a, a good Zadorov game, but it didn't take away from the minutes. He still winds up behind uh, behind Ian Cole. Yeah, uh, and which is really surprising. Well, it was especially because uh, Zadorov had two more minutes of ice time. I think about the midway point of the game, yep. and it kind of shifted towards the end of the third. It seemed like the coach went with guys he trusted a bit more, and even though Cole's game hasn't been where it needs to be at times, uh, clearly the coach, the coaching staff, has a lot of faith in the player. Uh, this text says, you guys look into the stats and numbers way too much. I know Mikheyev has potential upside, but he's not worth 4.75 on a team trying to go deep on a playoff run right now, so trade him. I mean, here's- you hate the guy. And you want someone to take them. Like, it, it's, it's it's a tough reality. Well, I mean, it, 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 in... Do you think that you can trade him right now for big value? Yeah. I that's... think you might be able to move him. He has 4.75. You're sitting here saying he's not worth 4.75. Trade him now. Someone do else is going to take him. Do you not think, if you think he's not worth 4.75, do you think other people will think that he's worth 4.75, if that's your opinion? Do you think a bunch of NHL GMs are marks that you can take advantage of? Maybe some are. You know, maybe yeah. maybe that is the case, but I don't know. I think it's easy to say. And when we reference the stats, to me, it's not even about. We just said you can healthy scratch Mikheyev. Like, listen, please, you can healthy scratch Mikheyev. Healthy scratch Mikheyev. There it is. We said it. Right. The stats. It's in comparison to the other guys because I think it's funny that for the season, for as good as Connor Garland's been, he has three more points than Mikheyev does. He's point four six points per game. Yeah. He has three more points, and he's played more games. The only point of comparison is to say, as 
bad as he's been, the production is still in line with a lot of players on this team who've played better. But if you're being honest about their production, it's also not quite where it needs to be. Especially for guys making $5 million. But that's a different conversation. He scored a game, scored a goal tonight. Fantastic from him. All right. We'll get to more of your text messages and your thoughts coming up in a bit. But let's hear the thoughts of the Canucks head coach. Here is Rick Tockett after a 2-1 win in Anaheim. I thought for the most part it was a, it was a grind game. You know, you have to win those games 2-1. to one. Um, you know, I don't think we gave them a lot. Not a lot of great is. And when, when they did, Casey was there for us. Speaking of Casey, what does it mean to have him and, and to have him get some confidence here to get the win and, and snap his own skin? Yeah, that's a perfect medicine for him. You know, a 2-1 tight hockey game. You know, he uh, he hasn't played in a while. Um, so those are the games, you know, you get his confidence. Might have to get him in again soon down the road here. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's nice to, to, to grind that win out for Case. Seemed like you had some good individual performances tonight. To, what did you think of Hoaglander? Yeah, I thought Hoagie was one of our best forwards. You know, he was maybe our best forward. He was, he had some jump, um, kept the puck on his stick a lot, drove drove the their D wide. Um, not, you know, I, I got a bit. Hoagie was really good. Not many turnovers from him um, behind their net. Come up with loose pucks. So yeah, Hoagie, I think Hoagie was really good tonight. You've often said too that you need Juleson to pick his spots when he's trying to play the hits. You think he was more? Uh, well, I think that? yeah, he had some good. I think he he really looked where F three was, or if we were above, um, he's scanning the ice when he's doing that now. So yeah, no, he he's been pretty good all year with that. You know, he, you know, I know that one game, but uh, he's been he's been uh, that's a that's something we need from him. You know, that those hits to just keep people honest. You've scuffled for a period of time, like the team has. Is there a magic? game or magic moment that turns around or is it all just like chipping away a little bit each day well i think there's no i think a 2-1 hockey game you know i think it's a grindy type of game uh, i think we got a little loose in the second with some turnovers we just got to learn from those who just cannot make it those turnovers when there's no plays um but i i just like the team effort it wasn't like we had a lot of outstanding guys that they just grinded it up, you know. You had a couple of guys that were, I thought, had really good games. Most of the guys were just, okay, let's just grind it up and win this game. It's been a while since Casey won a yeah. game, even though he'd, his play had been solid in most of them. As a coach, do you need to see, you know, there's a lot of talk about how you're going to use your goalies down the stretch. Do you need to see games like tonight in order to, you know, feel like you can give them more and give Thatcher more? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, it's a stressful game in the third. It's two to one only. Bounces, anything could happen. You know, um, so I think that stress game he needed. You know, he didn't. You know, to be honest, with you, I'd rather not have a you know six two game for him. I, you know, these two to one games for a guy that hasn't played much. You know, he needs that. So it's a, that's why I said it's a race recipe for Case. Negative thoughts go through your head when their first shot went in with a lucky bounce on it. As well. Yeah, I think guys came to the bench. You know, it, it was it was a lucky bounce. You know, it was a bing bang play. Those things happen. You know, it was a you know you just you just forget about it and you move on. What did you think of Pod Colson? I thought Pod's was pretty good. I thought there's some good moments of holding on to pucks. You know, a couple of system stuff that he'll be fine. But uh, I think for the most part, if he can hold on to pucks for us, get on the forecheck. You know, that's something that uh, we're looking for. Would you like that allowed your team to have so much territorial control throughout the night? Yeah, I like the I like the possession. I mean, I think we're getting our shots blocked too much, though. Uh, you know, I think we have to sprint to some areas, and I think sometimes our D got to move a little bit laterally to avoid the shots. I think uh, that's one thing that I think this month we've got a lot of shots blocked or missed. I think we, I think our video guy told me earlier we lead the league since the All Star break the miss, most net, missed nets. 
So if we can shore up block shots and um, the missed nets, maybe we'll get more chances, I think. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 2-1 victory. A lot of praise for a few players, including Niels Hoaglander, and mentioned that the guys stuck with it, found a way to win, grinded it out type of night. Uh, he wasn't really you know, interested in, in being overly critical of, of a victory. And it was overall, like the thing is, it wasn't dominant, right? Like we, we, we all agree on that. The Canucks weren't overwhelmingly better, but they were better. But they didn't really give Anaheim a ton. I, a, I struggled to give them credit on some chances. You know, there's a couple of, like goal mouth chances where they kind of jammed away at it. Um, and yeah, like someone off the backboard, yeah, and bounce and then, like, back out front, in, a couple and, stuff like that. It was nothing really, you know, create. There's no well work or something like that. There's no odd man rushes. So f- in terms of how the coach views it, the shifts were relatively quick. They didn't get hemmed in much of the night. They had moments, of course, where they spent time in their own zone, but it wasn't under distress a ton. They stuck to their staples. They only took one penalty. Had good line changes. Don't give up a lot of chances. So as much as it wasn't overwhelmingly dominant, it's one of those games where the coach looks at it and says, hey, at least we played a clean game and, and kind of played to identity at, very, at the very least. So I can see how the coach would be a lot more pleased with that outcome and how it went than a lot of fans would be watching the game. The stuff they are overwhelmingly in control of, like line changes and being secure in your stick work on penalties and stuff like that, they took care of tonight. And that's, uh, you know, for, for all their non-negotiables, uh, that's a big one. Uh, to be true with that and limit the amount of chances. Like, I'm just looking here in the third period. I know we joked earlier that they didn't take a lot of shots uh, near the end there. But just in general, if I'm trying to check off what they did in the third period uh, uh, for Anaheim, like, Kaloran had a short side backhander. He then couldn't take a cross-ice pass from Lundestrom. There was a, a scramble off the backboards, uh, and then there was uh, Henrique missing that shot yeah. in, with the extra man in the bumper spot. But that was really their only threatening attempt in the final two and a half minutes there. So by and large, in, in a grinded out fashion that they were trying to play, Vancouver just parried all these chances and kept it away from them. Yeah, no, they did. And I think how they were able to keep Anaheim from doing anything I think is the thing you take most away from it I would say too like Anaheim was very toothless with how they played I mean the final two minutes of the game they had the puck and didn't do anything with it you know they pulled the goalie and they're playing the merry-go-round nobody wants to shoot the puck until time's out pretty much they're ready to go to Cabo yeah it looks like they they pretty much are wherever the cool places are (laughs) yeah uh wherever that may be keep your thoughts coming into our text them box 650 650 uh Dunbar Lumber and the other thing I, I wanted to talk about was put Coles in a little bit here. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are wondering, was this a showcase game for Vasily put Coles in? Did they bring him up to showcase him? And perhaps that's a side, I wouldn't call it a side benefit, but something that ends up happening naturally because teams are watching and they're being scouted and now they get to watch put Coles in. But I think the reason he was called up was, was very logistical more than anything else. So after the trade deadline on Friday, the Canucks have four recalls. They all gave, teams have four recalls. All teams yeah. have four recalls. After the trade, that's what yeah. happens. Every team has, you're right. Good good, good thing to clarify. Every single team has four Why recalls. Why aren't you competing better, Sad? <laughs> sorry, my bad for not being clear. Richie would get that one. You should be on the Ford line. Josh Allen Wolf would get that one. Probably. You're right. You're right. Uh, but, but, so, um, what, were, what, were we, what are we talking four about? Four recalls. Four recalls. So, so, four recalls. So, they brought Baines up before the deadline, right? Because they wanted to get a look at him, see how ready he is. Is he going to get another recall? I mean, who knows what happens. I think he's 
probably earmarked for the time being to spend the rest of the season in Abbotsford and then see what happens as the year goes on and perhaps the playoffs Black or whatever. And, yeah. It may be, but focus would be for him to keep going and growing his game. Here's a taste for Petkolsen. If he plays well enough over this stretch, then he may stick with the team past the deadline, and then you're not using a recall after the trade deadline. And if you feel like he's not ready, well, then you probably know that you don't you don't want to recall him again with the other four recalls you have later. So, yes, it could turn out to be a showcase. I think why he was playing tonight was very logistical ahead of the trade deadline and the recall situation. Now is the time. If you want to get a look at put Colson before the end of the season, now would be the time to do it. Two more games to try to get the sample to see, all right, where are we at? Yeah. Both road games as well. Uh, or sorry, all three road games. So tough environments when you're playing on a line with Lindholm, who's you know playing harder minutes at times. So a pretty good spot for Vasily Putkolzin. And again, I, I just I, I liked so much about his game tonight uh, in the defensive zone. Was just really focused on where he needed to be, putting pressure in the right st- uh, right times, and his stick was always moving. Making sure he's he's leading with the stick yeah. and uh, closing down. Uh, that's the type of performance you want to see, and we see that quite often when we have seen him. You know, bit part cameo appearances over the course of two seasons, he can do it. And of, of all the prospects they have, his package to me is the 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 entirety of what he can provide is the most tantalizing. Yeah, right. He's got smarts. He's got. A tremendous work ethic that goes uh, overlooked, I think, at times. Mm-hmm. I, it, it probably rivals like a, a Nils Hoaglander where we see like he really gets after it. But there's far more defensive acumen in Put Colson's game than I think Hoaglander's game. Well, he's got uh, heaviness to it as and, well, and, and, and he's got natural heaviness so, to it. So I think I'd say Hoaglander's offensive instincts are better than yes. Put Colson's. Put Colson's, I, I think, all around instincts are better than Hoaglander's. So, I mean, different style of players, mm-hmm. different strengths and different weaknesses. The problem with Pochkolzin has been he hasn't been able to take advantage of those strengths because his confidence has been lacking. I think maturity, confidence, how you handle moments has been lacking for him. That wasn't lacking tonight. I thought he was playing direct. He was on top yeah. of things. He's been his own worst enemy for the most part when he hasn't made it work in the NHL. It, it almost feels like for Hoaglander in, in Rick Tockett's eyes, the effort always has to be there. And he won't get a benefit of the doubt, right? If, if, if Hoaglander's going, Rick Tocco will like it. But if he slows down a little bit, there's going to be some, uh, you know, he, he wasn't the buzzsaw tonight. Whereas put Coles in because of the body type, because yeah. of the, you know, the, the, the regular work ethic he has. And, and just because the profile of the player, I'd be willing to bet like Rick Tocco would have a bit more leniency with him. If Tockett sees more of himself in a player like Vasily Podkolzin than he does Nils Hoaglander. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's one of the things about his game, that if he can play with confidence and play quick, he's the type of player that has the, will, will have the trust mm-hmm. of the coaching staff. So good first performance from uh, for Vasily Podkolzin. Has a couple of games left before the deadline. Can he, can he show that he belongs mm-hmm. to be here for the stretch run? He'd be much more of a, a traditional wall guy, right? Like, yeah. Hoaglander does great work in the offensive corners. Forechecking with speed, putting pressure on teams, stuff like that. But in the defensive zone, along the wall, something Joshua has gotten really good at, that's an area where Colson, I think, can thrive. Mm-hmm. Just chip outs. Constantly getting those things right. Linking up the play. D-man rims it around. How are you handling that? Those are the things I really look at Vasily Colson, like can be fantastic in. Yeah. And should be. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber. We'll talk more about those and your takes coming up uh, in the next segment. Plus, we'll hear from Connor Garland and Casey DeSmith, who won his first game in his last five starts, a 2-1 victory over the Anaheim Ducks. All right, it's Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar, and you are listening to the Canuck Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange. So the game is over, but is your night really done? The number five is open. More coming up next on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Canucks Central postgame show. Join the discussion on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Five seconds left of the power play to Pedersen. Right wing, driving the goal, centering pass, bounced off a skate. Right back to the net. Dostal held it off, out off the pad, rather. Now Hughes, right corner for Miller. Carrying back, top of the point to Zadorov. Right circle with room, center. And Brett Garland scores! Pretty pass from Nikita Zadorov. Finds Connor Garland all alone in the middle of the ice, and he chips it over Dostal to give the Canucks a 2-1 lead. Excellent execution by the Vancouver Canucks as the power play ended, but Nikita Zadorov picks up the puck on the right-hand side and feathers in a pass to the left-hand side. An excellent deflection by Connor Garland as he reaches kind of behind him to deflect the puck. And Nikita Zadorov with excellent vision finding the Canucks winger who just deflects it over Lucas Dostal. No chance for the Anaheim Ducks goaltender as the Canucks make it 2-1. Connor Garland with the game-winning goal. Canucks win 2-1 over the Anaheim Ducks. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, a lot of reaction on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Uh, good return from Pods. I think you played a solid uh, talky game. That's good. I see what, I see what you did there. Uh, this one says, Hoaglander looked inspired by PD's contract. Maybe he was part of the deal. The <laughs> one to Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, good. That's good. Uh, but Colton is an NHL player. Should be in this lineup over quite a few players, including Suter, Lafferty, Mikheyev, PDG. Rising up the depth charts in Canuck fans' eyes is Vasily Colson after a game like that. He's getting a ton of love uh, yeah. in the inbox. As well as Casey DeSmith, Ashton, and Surrey. Just what they needed. DeSmith gets a good start. Hoaglander took a lo- took over on a lot of shifts. Hughes and Pedersen looked a lot better. I thought Colson played a solid game back. On track. Mark in the Sea to Sky says, nice win. Those forward line combinations really worked. Put Colson was solid and Hoaglander was fantastic. Great energy from the fourth line. And the $11 million man looks lighter without the weight on his shoulders. My only complaints are that Friedman does not belong at all. And DeSmith is chaos. Susie can't come back soon enough. Demko is the next... The next two starts, please, Mark in the Sea to Sky. It is funny how the, the exact same game have such varying opinions. Yeah, it's it's wild. Well, I'll, I'll just read two here. Do you have? Okay. Uh, Glenn from Ottawa. Canucks got back to their identity tonight, most notably winning early, uh, winning nearly every board battle. Hoaglander was a beast. Good sign they're getting back on track despite the, the, the tight score. And Colin and Chilliwack. That game was closer than it should have been. I'm officially concerned as this team has lost their confidence and Mojo, not a good look despite the win. I can't bear this any longer. <laughs> Eddie's on it today. Eddie's on top of things. Eddie's but uh, it. I, I, I'm not saying either opinion is wrong. I got my own opinion of it, obviously. And as we all, we like to say, we, we respect everyone's uh, we, we respect everyone's right to opinion. We don't respect every opinion. Yeah. But 
I, I just I find it interesting that it, it's that uh, separate. Yeah, there there are a lot of let's say a, uh, it's a divergent group of mm-hmm. uh, messages coming in tonight. It certainly is, and yeah, people watched this game and had two very different takes on it. William and Langley says Hoaglander's name should officially be changed to Fort Checklander. Does that work? Fort Checklander. No, no, it doesn't I'm quite out. work. But he continues to say, "Nice put, effort, nice put, effort." Put, put Colson look really good. Forecheck and creating chances. Absolutely more confident than last season. Now that power play, God, uh, what happened? Shoot, what happened to shooting the puck, William and Langley? Uh, the power play only had one chance, and it was uh, a Garland shot that didn't even make it to the net. Uh, no, they had two chances. Well, one chance really, and they had a couple shots. Oh, sorry, the the power play only power generated play. one yeah, chance. Yeah, yes. yeah, it only generated one chance. Yeah, yes. it, it, the power play for all the talk about getting the top unit back together with Garland. And you know what? The funny thing was before the game, I'm like, I mean, Garland. I'm not sure how Garland's going to fit in, and he ended up having the best mm-hmm. chance on it. Uh, they, I, I know your biggest issue was how they were getting set up. Yeah. I will say with Garland there, he injects a little bit more urgency because he's not patient. Yeah, He's going to get the puck and he's going to try to make something happen, whether it's forcing a pass to the middle or or, or getting a shot off. He's going to be very active, which is something that this power play probably needs right now. They, The way they entered the zone, they had their struggles. I I just like to see Quinn Hughes have a bit more freedom uh, coming through the neutral zone. Sometimes take what they're giving you. He's you can walk enough, it in sometimes. He's a good enough skater to, yeah. to. He always gets by the first guy. Sometimes the guys let him go past the lead four checker. Maybe kind of shepherds him to an area and then gets ready for the trailing guys for the drop pass. But there's a lot of times where Quinn Hughes just resigns himself to the drop pass. He's good enough to get by the first guy, threaten the the next three, and force his way in there with, with his mobility. I, I'd like to see him take a bit more. Uh, ownership on that on, on those entries because it, it does seem sometimes he's just well we're getting to the blue line and sliding it back yeah uh, absolutely and something that you need to take more assertiveness mm-hmm. on the power play all right keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox we'll hit more of them but let's go to the phone boards the dispatch plumbing and heating air conditioning hotline and let's go to california where we have uriah on the line who was at the game uriah thanks for making time for us uh, what are your thoughts here tonight Oh, for sure. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to wait till I got home, so I wasn't driving and talking on the phone. First, man, of negativity on Pedersen, I don't know if I can take it. You guys are shoving coal in the back of the train, man. I'm feasting on duck over here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I got to say, so I've been the, in L.A., I've been the five games so far. They won all of them. I don't want to get into the record when I watch them at Rogers Arena. Next thing is, sure, Pedersen falls down, but he always gets up again, guys. Come on. And Hoaglander, he's been my favorite player, just totally inspirational. I'm so glad he's still there. Just his tenacity watching him, just amazing. And seeing them now, just the structure they're playing with is just fantastic. And Quinn Hughes, this guy, it's like any time, he just so easily defends and takes the puck away. It's just like magic. I don't have a lot in terms of negativity or anything like that, but one thing I want to ask is, you guys, last time we did the playoffs, you did those post games to one in the morning. Are we going to do those again? <laughs> the unlimited post game shows. Hey, Uriah, thanks for the phone call. Appreciate the positivity as well. Um, I, I don't know if we have a full announcement on our plans. No, we don't have a full announcement yet. I can tell you though, we're not going to be doing the unlimited. I mean, I'm not going to be doing the Sat unlimited. Sat and I will not be doing the unlimited. I can't say for certain that we wouldn't have a post post. Show yeah, so so I, there, there okay. might be content. We're just not sure yet. Okay, so what I can tell you is we will most likely 
go a bit longer on the post game show. Like we're probably going to do. We will have extended shows. Yes. Yeah. So now what we're going to do is really do it depending on number one how it's going. Yeah. The post game show because we're going late into the night anyways. So we'll probably do more than two hours on the mm-hmm. post game show. It'll be dependent on the game, the reaction, and how things are going. If the Canucks, let's say, win a series, yeah, we might be here late into yes. the evening, and we'll be here having fun and talking about it. It's not going to be every show unlimited, though. You won't be short on content. We we promise you that. We wouldn't leave you in the lurch no, here. No, we're, we'll on, give you plenty uh, of content. Yeah. Like even even now on the post game show, we'll go an extra 10, 15 minutes. Oftentimes, when iMac is like waxing poetic, like and so, so people know we're supposed to break spinning some yarns. So at the end of the show, we're supposed to break at like 24, 23. We're supposed to get out. That's mm-hmm. the number, and we stay to like 30, 35 often. Yeah. And you and it drives the producers crazy because they don't get paid to stay extra. So we and that's what we do though. We have to, you know, we, we give the people what they want. We bring the content. Eddie's making that eleven point six, man. He's just <laughs> earning every bit. <laughs> Pennies. Uh, yeah, good. pennies. <laughs> uh, Chris and Duncan. Aha, uh-huh, duh, boys. Of course they're toothless. They're ducks. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah, All right, well not big, well not, not big teeth. All right. All right. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. There's some questions we are going to hit, and we'll get to those coming up in a few moments. But let's get to some player audio post game. The man who scored the game-winning goal was Connor Garland in a 2-1 win over the Anaheim Ducks. And here he is talking to Kate Pedersen after the game felt like you played with a sense of urgency, especially from the start. What stood out to you? Uh, you know, it's a tight game. Obviously, it's hard to win in this league. And, uh, you know, we kind of grinded it out all the way to the end. It was a good third period by us. Didn't give much, you know, even six on five. Kind of shots on the outside. So, uh, Casey, Casey held in, though. Did a great job for us tonight. What was the difference in terms of the way you were able to protect the lead? You mentioned grinding it out there in the third. Just playing to our structure. You know, we play the same way if we're up or, or down. So, you know, it was a good job tonight for us doing that, not sitting on our, our heels, our team that's uh, had a lot of comebacks this season. So we knew they were going to have a good third, but uh, you know, we felt if we played our played our, our structure that uh, you know we wouldn't we wouldn't give much. Starting a three-game road trip, what's the significance of getting the win and, and starting on a high note like this? Well, obviously, you know, some big uh, divisional teams coming up. So obviously, to get to get a win here tonight's huge. Um, you know, LA uh, you know, beat us pretty good, so we'll be ready for that game. Um, but tomorrow, just get our rest, travel day, and um, you know, enjoy uh, California. Thanks. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, that is Carner Garland uh, after the two-one victory over the Anaheim Ducks. The over on uh, LA beat us pretty good. Cash is fairly easy there. He says it twice. Yeah. No. Do you I, think they're focused on LA? They might be somewhat focused on the LA Kings. And somebody texted in earlier and said uh, the Canucks played the way LA played them the other night in the first two periods kind of keeping things uh, really to the outside, not letting them really get to the net and creating enough scoring chances. And I think that was a pretty pretty good comparison. Mm-hmm. Now, now, obviously, there's a huge degree of uh, difficulty difference between the two squads, the Ducks versus Certainly. the LA Kings and everything like that. But to the texter's point, they looked more like the Kings versus the Canucks. And I think that's actually not a bad comparison because I didn't mm-hmm. think the Canucks were overwhelming, but they played clean. They created more than Anaheim did. They weren't dominant. Like, this wasn't... I wouldn't look at this and say, if this is the Canucks' best performance. Like, for instance, you and I were kind of scoffing a bit that Drew well, Doughty yeah, a, referred to that as their best game. A couple of Kings players said that it was, like, their best 60. Yeah, and, and I didn't think the Canucks were good or anything. I thought L.A. was better. But I'm like, if that's your best 60, like, you gotta... You, you may not be as good as you think you are, right? Mm-hmm. The Canucks tonight, if this was your best 60, you're probably not as good as you think you were, but none of us look at it as your best 60, you know? They've had at least now. I would at say, least thirty performances better than this. Yeah, at least they, they've had better 
performances and losses, yeah. to be fair. Oh, I mean, for instance, I thought one of their best games they played this year was the overtime loss against the Rangers on home ice. Uh, they played a fantastic yes, game yeah, early. Yeah, like it was yeah. one of their best games, and they ended up losing that one. They've played good games that and lost. was back in October, right? Yeah, I mean, so they've had good games and lost. But um, I, I did think that tonight they did enough to win. Their staples and all that was good. You know, it's not one you hang up and say, hey, like this is the one we want to point to. But hopefully it's a step in the right direction. We were hopeful that after that game uh, where they came back and beat the Boston Bruins that, okay, you know, maybe this is a build launching off point. The next game against the Penguins, I mean, for the first half, they were fantastic and then just kind of stopped playing and they lose in overtime and a dud against the LA Kings. Can this be the upswing again? And I guess that's going to tell us on Tuesday when they are in LA against the Kings. Well, they're going to need to catch an upswing here pretty quick. I, I still think it's too far for an Edmonton Oilers to catch them. Uh, Oilers, uh, now winners of four in a row themselves. They beat the Penguins 6-1 this evening. So Oilers trailing the Canucks by nine points. They have four games in hand. So they can narrow that down to one if they happen to win all their games in hand. Uh, But Canucks sitting at 85 now. So they get this win. Nashville sitting there at 72. That's your opponent right now. Some separation is opened up between the wild card and the Chasers. Mm -hmm. Flames are seven points back. Uh, Blues are seven points back. Wild are eight points back. So it just it feels like it's Kings and Predators. So if it's going to be Canucks and Kings in round one, we thought it would be the two three seed. It's looking more like it'd be Wild Card and Pacific Division one seed. Get used to seeing these Kings a lot, and certainly start getting your numbers in the win column against this team, just so you can get prepared for what it's going to look like. Because if you beat them. Uh, and you push them down to the wild card two spot, you're likely to be playing them. Yeah, the, the thing though is, could LA path catch Vegas? They're only one point back, yeah. and they have a game in hand. I mean, if you beat them, then they're not. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I'm just saying, like you know, I, I don't think the, the the book has been closed on the top three teams in the in the Pacific Division either. I mean, LA is still close enough that they could unseat Vegas as a third seed. I, I feel like we know the eight teams though. Oh, the eight teams. I uh, do we? Do you think Nashville has figured it out? Well, they've they won, won eight in a row. I know, but like, but there's a would, gap between them and Calgary. Like, but Calgary's s- selling off. The St. Louis Blues, I just have no faith in. Yeah, I mean, Calgary's they're, won, they're very uninspiring. I kind of feel for Calgary. They won five in a row, and they're still seven back of Nashville now yeah. because and, and Nashville's and, and won they're eight. selling pieces off. Yeah, they have two games in hand, but yeah, but I would say this about Nashville: Would it shock you if all of a sudden they lose, say, nine of the next twelve? Like that's the thing about them. That's they've been like that this I'd have year. I to look at their schedule. So I. I I'm not sold yet on Nashville, but right now, yes, they seem to have a strong grip on it. I mean, we're into the final 20 games of the season. But that's the only thing I wonder about with Nashville. Do they allow somebody else to get back into the race a little bit? Uh, It would surprise me if they lose nine of the next 12. They have really bad games coming up, easy teams coming up. Uh, At home to Montreal, at home to Buffalo, at uh, Columbus, at Minnesota, at Winnipeg, at Seattle, home to San Jose. Uh, yeah, I would be surprised if they lost nine of the next 12. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. Uh, let's hear from more Canucks players postgame. Casey the Smith almost got the shutout, only allowed one goal in a 2-1 victory. And here is Casey the Smith meeting with the media postgame. I don't know if I've ever been so happy to win a game. Like, obviously, personally, it feels really good um, kind of get off the skid. But, you know, also the team... It's a huge win for the team to start off this road trip on the right foot. Um, you know, after a couple of tough losses, it just feels really good in here right now. Um, every team in this league is good, so that's a good win for us. 
From your vantage point, what stood out about the way this group was able to not only get the lead but protect it there, particularly in the third? Yeah, I thought we did the right things in the third as far as like getting it deep, uh, good F3. We didn't give them much off the rush. Uh, I, we didn't give them much at all. But, um, you know, the guys just getting the puck out, getting the puck in. That was kind of the message in between periods. Um, play the right way and make them work for their offense. And I thought we did a really good job of that. I asked Talkit about this being a bit of a reset, the way you guys were able to go home, have an off day. Do you sense that in the group that you guys feel re-energized and are ready to go? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, obviously we love being home, um, but maybe just a little reset going on the road all together. Um, playing on the road is a little bit different than playing at home. Um, so it's a good change of pace for us as a group. Um, we've had some incredible road trips this year. like some of the best road trips I can remember ever in this league and you know hopefully this is another one but that's a good start. They had some pretty good chances on you. Any, any particular ones that... Uh... Yeah they had some good looks. Um, you know the, obviously the one in the last minute from the slot. I don't know if Kohler got a piece of it or if you missed the net. Um, but yeah they, they definitely turned up some shooting opportunities and looked for the extra pass I thought uh, for most of the night and you know not a heavy shot volume game for me, but um, they made me work for it, for sure, a lot of lateral movement. I know it's a little soon, but how do you feel about going towards the playoffs? I mean, you guys had a little bit of questionable things the last couple of weeks, and now looking good? Or... Yeah, I mean, one win doesn't fix everything. We, we have to keep doing the right things every, every game. We have to keep playing this way, um, doing the things that made us successful early in the year, and maybe we got away from a little bit, um, but we need to get back to, you know, playing that winning hockey. What's the more important goal, making sure you guys win the division or keep most points in the conference? Uh, we're just focused on game to game. I don't think anyone's thought about that. I certainly haven't um, as far as like points and you know where we want to end up. I think everyone's just focused on you know the game at hand. And that is Casey the Smith and, and saying he couldn't contain himself with excitement after winning the game. And I think that's because he's been on a, on a tough run. Like we mentioned. Oh, he, yeah. Well, his he last lost, game. Yeah, last eight game, goals. eight goals. And he gave up. I mean, he's lost, you know, five of his last six mm-hmm. starts. Now, three of those uh, games have been overtime losses where the team has picked up points. And he's pretty much been close to 500 point-wise, just mm-hmm. slightly below. But it, it had been a while. Like, he started off so hot, hot this season. And for his confidence, and I wonder also from the coaching staff's confidence, they had shown, obviously, a propensity to lean on Demko a lot more. And I wonder these last four starts before tonight where he had lost all of them, the eight goals, goals against uh, the Wild. And yes, you can go through a lot of those games and say, well, maybe he wasn't at fault for all those goals and everything. But you can't help but maybe lose some trust as the coaching staff. So I think it was also big for him, especially as we talk about, can they limit Thatcher Demko's starts to under 60 starts? They're going to have to, yeah. And if you're going to do that, you have to lean on your backup. And for him to have a game and win tonight, maybe that that regains some confidence here from the coaching staff to not be as re- too, uh, resistant to start, start him down the stretch. Yeah, you can just hear the relief in his voice, too. Yeah. And you know, it, It's a 2-1 win in Anaheim. In March, when Anaheim's not exactly a good team, he's he's talking about, like, oh, so happy to get this win. It's been 20 days since he last started, right? He's been stewing on those eight goals for 20 days. That must be tough. Yeah. And, again, I would argue all but one of those against Minnesota weren't on him. Not Yeah, not all of them. I mean, in the Minnesota game. I, the, I would say all but one. The Minnesota goals? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like maybe one against Joel Erickson Eck, he should have. But a lot is like off your own defenders. Yeah. Skate, some really bad. Five ones. on threes. Yeah. It, it, it's a lot of bad luck in that game. And so you think it's like, hey, it wasn't totally on me and. I'm not getting. We still give up eight trust. goals. No, I, matter, I, right? I, no, absolutely. Like, right? Mentally, you're still like. You're but, but you still give up eight, yeah. and and you're just fighting. Just like I got to get another chance. I got to get another chance. And it's against Anaheim, and it's two one. And in, in in key moments, yeah, he 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 made some saves. And really, it's the one that goes in tonight. It's not really his fault too, because it goes off a defender right into the path of Kalorn, and he's trying to scramble back and get to it, uh, and he can't get there. But in in the moments where like a net front scramble, it's it's Casey DeSmith doing Casey DeSmith things again. It it looks hectic, and he almost creates some of the sporadicness where he he really charges yeah. out. He really tries to get close to the puck, and it, it looks dangerous at times, to be honest. But he seems to make it work for his style. Yeah, no, I I, I in I refer to him as a wall this game, and not just because he was making saves, but his the weakest part of his game is his rebound control. Mm-hmm. I'd say because he punches a lot of stuff out but if your defensemen are boxing out they're mm-hmm. on top of things not letting guys sneak in back door you're going to be able to f- handle that and there was some of that tonight so give the defense credit too i mean i thought they did a good job of not letting anaheim get inside too much in this game and that's something well, that there was helped a moment too. in the second period i want to say uh off of a face off yeah vetrano gets a tip and it rebounds right there and quinn hughes is the one to collect the rebound and just calmly skates it out of danger behind the net, slides it back to Juleson. Juleson mishandles it and goes back right back to the Casey DeSmith. But Quinn Hughes, like in a moment where we see Quinn Hughes, uh, again, on a loose puck, just calms it down, able to uh, negotiate the, the high traffic area and, and get it into space. Uh, he was one of many doing that for the Canucks tonight. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. Quinn Hughes, strong game from him on the back end tonight. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. Kevin from North Van, how much more value has Lindholm brought than Kuzmenko? Honest question, just a bit underwhelmed. Now, we are going to get to the phone boards again in a second here, so we'll answer this um, a bit more when we get to the other side, too, because we are going to talk to Ian McIntyre. But I, quickly on Lindholm, I thought him and Garland defensively, they had some moments or whatever. But yes, Garland on the forecheck. Yeah, yeah. and that, they had some moments where they were good together. But I do agree, so far we haven't seen the intended impact of Elias Lindholm. Okay, but what was the intended impact? Well, I mean, to make more of an overall difference than what he's done so far. Like, to be good defensively, But was there a specific been. role? Well I, well, I think the role was to get him to play with Pedersen initially, and that mm-hmm. hasn't worked out. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. That's where they started it at. And then they went to Pedersen, Millard, then back to Pedersen. Now he's on his own line. So that was kind of what mm-hmm. they were hoping to do, see if he can play with Pedersen. And now this this new role, third line role, still just feels imperfect. And he made a, an odd play in the final sequence. Ultimately doesn't end up costing them. Yeah. I, I still have my hesitations. And, and the thing is, it, it's, it's weird because I really like the player. I really like the player. He does a lot of smart things. And yet, I still, I, I'm unconvinced by the fit. I, I, I'm less unconvinced because they don't have a, a matchup center on this team. They don't. Like JT's not a matchup center. Pedersen's not one. Bluger's not going to be able to go head to head against other top teams' top lines. At least Lindholm, you can throw out there and you can handle some of those. And I think you're not going to going to see that benefit until the playoffs. And to me, when I looked at the acquisition, it's can he do those things in the playoffs for you? And that, to me, is going to be the measure. If he can't do it then, then, yeah, it'll obviously be a failure. All right, keep your thoughts. Can we enter a text inbox? Let's go to the phone boards, and let's go to Bo and Burnaby. Bo, thanks for calling in. Now, what are your thoughts here tonight? Oh, hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, actually, you were just talking about Elias Lindholm, and it just made me think 
he's actually very similar to Pius Suter. Uh, very smart, always in the right spots. I'm just not sure that, um, like, what do you guys think? Like, aren't they kind of similar? Like, and how much extra are we getting out of Lindholm as opposed to Pew Suter? Hey, uh, thanks for your phone call, Bo. I mean, I, I do think Lindholm is a faster player, stronger player mm-hmm. uh, than Pew Suter is. But I do get what he's saying. Like, in a third-line role and Pew Suter playing at his best, the separation hasn't been as wide. But I would say in terms of, again, matching up, and you see Lindholm when he goes on the forechecking, his bigger bodies, how he handles position defensively. The things that are unnoticeable and boring, he does really well. Yes. And those things have a big impact. You don't see it, but they do have a big impact. So I do think he's, he's a more impactful player than, than Pew Suter is. It's just not in the flashy ways you would assume that it would be. Yeah, the, the goal that Hoaglander scored against Chicago is the one I always think of, right? Yeah. Which stuff like that always shows up for Lindholm. Where he, he charges hard. I think it was against Magna. Again, mind you, it was against Chicago. But yeah. able to win the space, gets the hands, and, and creates contact there and just leaves the puck for Hoaglander. Like that sort of stuff – Shows up all over the place. But, he, like, is he winning? I'd have to dig in the numbers. Um, is he winning those matchups roles? It's the same thing we said about Horvat. It's like he can do the matchup role, but you have to win the matchup yeah. role then. Is he winning the matchup role enough? Well, I think that's something, again, I think for you to get to that point, you have to find the right mix for him. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's still in progress. Like, I think it's very much a work in progress. And so far, it has not been convincing. There's no doubt about that. Brandon in Vancouver, can he be this team's William Carlson? The thing that made William Carlson so good, too, is Mm -hmm. he had a great duo on his line. It wasn't just William Carlson. And right now, him and Garland are trying to work it out. And maybe that is ultimately what happens, him and Garland. But that's kind of my question there. Like, who's going to be the duo? Because if you had guys like Barbashev at times playing with William Carlson. Yeah. And... When Joshua comes back, is that the line? Do they go back to Bluger, Garland, Joshua? Or is it Lindholm, Garland, Joshua? Uh, so a more natural spot there again tonight. Put Colson steps in and did a more than adequate uh, Dakota Joshua impression. And I, I, tonight I was more impressed with Garland and Put Colson than I was Elias Lindholm. But someone's got to be there to be the safety net of it all. So yeah. I, I guess in that regard, uh, you can give... Lindholm some credit for it, but it feels like we're stretching at that stage because it's a big price and it's a premium player. Like when Teddy Bluger is the safety net, you say, okay, like you're 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 getting paid yeah. a certain amount and the expectation is different. Uh, for me, for for Lindholm, I, I, I'm expecting more. Uh, this text says Rutherford has traded and moved a player he, that didn't fit in the same season. Would you guys move Lindholm for Gensel? Is the question. It's not happening. That's the thing. I mean, why would uh, Pittsburgh trade? Yeah. You know, take UFA Lindholm UFA, UFA just yeah. doesn't make any sense. In theory, I mean, again, like, I'm, I'm a big fan of Gensel's game if you can bring him in, but that's just something that I don't think is uh, realistic, that type of exchange between those uh, those two players. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. I wanted to read this text. Earlier, you know, Bick was trying to wonder, talk about, uh, you know, angles and geometry. So this text says, not trying to throw you a curve or angling for a bigger slice of the pie, but I thought Zadorov's feed to Garley really bisected the the divergent plane of the quadrilateral. (laughs) Fantastic text. All right, uh, we'll get to Ian McIntyre and more of your reaction on the other side as the Canuck Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange continues on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. To the line for Minchikov. Now to Cam Fowler, right point. Fowler passes down low into the slot. Henry shoots, he missed the net. Rebound, Kalorn sends it out front. Jones missed a chance to tap it in on the crease. Silverberg left wing. To the line for Minchikov. Now to Fowler, right point. 20 seconds left in the third. Fowler drops it to Henrique on the right wing boards. To Kalorn in the right corner. A dozen seconds left, third period. Fowler from the line. Back to Kalorn. One timer, he missed the net. Rebound rims around the boards to the line. Held in by Fowler. Five seconds left. Ducks have it down low. Silverberg turns it over to Juleson. He clears it down the ice. And the game is over. The Canucks hold on for a big road win as they outlast the Anaheim Ducks 2-1 to one and open the road trip with a critical two points in SoCal. An exhausted five-man unit at the end of the game for the Vancouver Canucks that were on the ice for nearly two minutes. Canucks hold on to win 2-1 over the Anaheim Ducks, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number 5 Orange, Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. We are going to be joined by Ian McIntyre coming up in a few moments' time, but uh, you heard the call coming in. That, that was were the dying seconds of the third period, and uh, we were watching in bewilderment as the Anaheim Ducks were just keeping the puck to the outside. The the one shot attempt was the Kaloran shot, which was blocked. Everything else was just trying to pass it. Like I I honestly was well. Henrique had the bumper, the bumper sh- shot. shot. Yeah, right. Okay, that's the one. So two, yeah, it, it so the last the two minutes were like two shots. It was it was pretty remarkable watching that. Hey, a sh- shot per minute. That's uh... <laughs> yeah. If you shoot one per minute, that's sixty shots. Okay, all right. Sixty shot attempts, not bad, not bad. All right, you'll take it, I guess. Uh, but it was uh, it was quite the hockey game. It, it wasn't the most exciting, exhilarating hockey game. It was a uh, grinded out. It very much was a grinded out hockey game. That's and and Rick Tockett seemed thrilled about it. That. Like they played in this style of game. I know uh, th- there's a person who's been texting in a lot saying Connor Garland is delusional if he thinks the Canucks are playing to their carved in stone structure. Connor needs to watch the games at the beginning of the season. But the coach as well said a lot of the same things Connor Garland said in terms of their identity. And, and I think this wasn't a game where Anaheim was also kind of playing at this high level and, and skating fast where you have to meet them through the neutral zone a lot. Certainly not. So it wasn't a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I thought the Canucks were winning most of the puck battles anyways. It wasn't this overwhelming performance. They didn't play with the getup of facing, you know, a big contender and going heavy against them or anything. And But in terms of their staples, which is be in the right position, quick line changes, get in on the forecheck, stay solid defensively, box out, win along the boards, chip a body, don't let guys go through you easily. They did all those things tonight. And yes, it wasn't the most beautiful performance, but if you do play to your tenants the way the Canucks did, the coach is going to be happy, and that's why he was uh, giving the guys credit after the game. Two points is beautiful. It's positive, isn't it? You'll two, take points. two points. Yeah, again, not every night is Picasso, but two points. Well, the Canucks it's like being at the loop. <laughs> well, you need the two. I mean, because right now... Uh, the uh, Edmonton Oilers won six one over the Penguins, mm-hmm. just absolutely land based to the Penguins, right? Nice word. They're nine points back of the Canucks, and they have four games in hand. Now their schedule is going to be far. I know more arduous than Gord, Vancouver's. Gord was texting in and saying the Canucks better start winning and putting a streak together because Edmonton is really breathing down their necks. It might be very difficult for Edmonton too, just from a st- schedule standpoint and how many games they have left this season. But I will say they're already in the thick of that, and mm-hmm. they're on a four game winning streak. So they're making hay right now, and 
the longer they keep winning, the more the Canucks have to win to ensure they finish first in the division. Um, as far as the Western Conference goes, uh, they are two points up on the Winnipeg Jets, but Winnipeg has three games in hand. So uh, the first spot in the Western Conference by point percentage does not belong to Vancouver, but certainly they still have a chance big to finish first in the Western Conference. Uh, I'm going to do some math. You ready? Uh, so the max points the Oilers can get, if I'm done my math correctly, is 122. So even if you figure of the 46 remaining points that they can get, right? It, are we going to say the Oilers are going to play 700 hockey the rest of the way? Ooh. And let's say they do that. All right. So that would be, what, 32 more points? Yeah, which would bring them to 108 and 8 points. Uh, our math, uh, sorry, 104. 104? No, wait. Yeah, so sorry, 108. 108! 108! We got the math you're right the first time. Oh, all right. We got it right the first time. You're playing with, you're, you're on thin ice here. Yes, yeah. it's 108 points. Okay. So the Canucks then need... 23 more points. Yes. So it's like, that's doable. 23 more points, so that in, would mean... In can 19 they win? games. Yeah, 19. Can they go 12, 12 and 7 is actually a pretty big percentage. It's not easy to do. That would get you 24. Mm-hmm. So if Edmonton goes 700, you kind of have to win 12 out of your next 19. Yeah. Which isn't easy. No, but it's doable. It's doable, yeah. We'll see if Edmonton actually has a 700 win percentage the rest of the way. But Vancouver certainly has to start stringing wins together, coming off a six-loss and seven-game stretch. Big one here tonight in the game in L.A. To me, the big one is coming up tomorrow. You know, you have Vegas as well uh, before this this road trip ends. But considering how they played against the L.A. Kings— I kind of want to see a complete performance against them, and I want to see the energy. I, I would imagine you'll get a significantly improved performance uh, than what we saw last Thursday. Because last Thursday, they made so many just – I was going to say egregious. I'll, I'll say egregious because Rick Tockett used this. Yeah, so he used it as just well. Egregious mistakes right. uh, uh, last Thursday. This text says, Picasso's looked like a child painted them. The saying should be, not every game is a Rembrandt. Each in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. All right. That melting uh, clock, is, is, is that not Picasso? Uh, listen, I'm not a big you know, art history guy. That's not really my area of expertise. No, that's Dali, isn't it? Is it? Okay. Salvador Dali. All right. Uh, all right. Let's go to the dispatch plumbing, heating, and air conditioning hotline. The first call, the only call, to bring in the man we call the triple threat. He's live on location. You watch them on TV. You read him on digital. And live from Anaheim, you hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. (laughs) (laughs) And that you undersell yourself. Renaissance man, one of the most interesting men on planet Earth. I'm sure you know a lot more about art history than you're letting on. Well, maybe slightly more, but I'm not going to act like I'm an expert at it or anything. All right. You got no no future in media unless you (laughs) Unless you talk about things you don't really know, but talk about them with authority. <laughs> uh, what's the saying you often say? Uh, uh, often in error, but Oft- never in, in doubt? Yes. Often in error, seldom in doubt. Yeah, that's very that's, good. You know, for those people who are blessed with such conviction, <laughs> they're never wrong about anything, except when they're wrong about everything, but they never admit that they're wrong about anything. Never wrong, only early. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this now as I speak, but probably the most horrific example is Donald Trump. And now that I've 
associated oh, with that saying. I don't, I don't know that I'll ever use it again. Oh, yeah. Our text inbox gonna gonna we're gonna hear for, for yes. about that one for sure, Ian. <laughs> All right. Uh, I apologize. Nah, I don't care. It's fine. What I was it's, all, say. it's all material for talk radio. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Actually, I was going to ask. We always call you. So technically, if you called us, you would be a first time caller. Oh, oh yeah. that's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Semantics. Yeah. But they're fat. Well, Eddie is so Eddie is so good at uh, hooking us up over the phone that I never have to call. But there have been times where. I'm trying to think why this would have been, but lots of times like the calls drop and then I had to phone back in and I didn't have the direct number. I had like a office <laughs> number. So I'd, I'd get a recording and then I'd look through my calls again and find the right number. This is much better this way. Uh, all right. So tonight Canucks win. Uh the the term that the players observant. I think I think Vic was looking at Vic was looking at me and I was like, no, was, you're you're up. <laughs> okay. The the players and the coach refer to it as a grind win, and yeah, you know the not every game is going to look true to the, the, the quote unquote Canucks identity. Yeah. But we talked the other day of of team identity. But is this like them getting back on track? Well, we'll know on. Uh, Tuesday, uh, and not by whether they beat LA or not, but do they do they play and look more like they did tonight, or do they look like they did against LA on Thursday, where it seemed like they were snowshoeing uh, through mud or something? Like they they just they were bogged down, and the Kings will do that to you, especially when they get a lead. But the the Canucks looked like they had a lot more. Uh, energy and speed tonight and, and directness to their game. If you recall, when they when they beat the Boston Bruins, which now just feels like a rumor, right? When they beat the Bruins at, at home coming back and, you know, such a big win, it felt cathartic at the time and it turned out just to be a blip during this downward trajectory. I said that, you know, at that point when they'd lost four in a row, you'd take a win against anybody. You'd take a uh, a ragged win against San Jose in that case, just to get a win. Well, I wouldn't say that this was a ragged win, but you know, they, they weren't at their best and we know the ducks are where they are in the standings. Although actually I looked it up and, and Anaheim has a better record since the all-star break than the Canucks do. So, and they worked hard. They weren't an easy out, but in these circumstances, Canucks one five and one in their last seven, just in desperate need of some traction. Uh, they happily take this win tonight, and I think they should feel good about it. They did outplay. Uh, they did outplay Anaheim. There's a lot been going on around this team. You know, this is the first the first day uh, after the ninety two point eight million dollar contract announcement for for Pedersen. It's the first win for Casey DeSmith in in nearly two months. And something like that, the uh, Smith, I mean, not Pedersen's contract, although guys are happy for him. And, and I think everyone around the organization is relieved that the saga is over. Um, but, you know, when Casey DeSmith wins the game 2-1, he gets beaten on the first shot he faces on another horrible bounce in his first game since he got ventilated for eight against Minnesota and then stops every other shot 
all the other shots he faces. So, you know, makes a total of 18 saves. They win a nail biter 2-1. Guys were really happy for Casey Smith mm-hmm. after the game. I think you could probably see it on TV um, after the final horn. Um, and, you know, Ian Cole told me he was the first one to hug to Smith and to Smith just screamed. And I, I won't say the first word, but it starts with an F. <laughs> and the second word was, yeah. <laughs> and, and Cole said, yeah, I was like, okay, I agree. I agree. <laughs> so guys, guys are happy for Casey. And there were some things to like about this game as well. We, I think everyone knows that they've got uh, a long way still to go, but here's the thing about these slums. So the Canucks have, and this isn't a revelation, by the way, but I'll say it anyways. You know, the Canucks have been 1-5-1, one, and one, and that was a little over two weeks. And they really haven't been sharp, sharp for for a month. You could argue, except for a game here or there since the All-Star break, they haven't been as sharp as they'd like to be on a nightly basis since January. That's a pretty good period of time now. To get back to that, it's not going to be one game. It's not going to be two games or even three or four days. It takes you often about as much time to work your way back and get back on top of your game as it did for you to lose the top of your game. And so, you know, is is this a first step? Uh, that's why I say we'll see uh, against against LA on on Tuesday. Certainly. There was more to like tonight than to dislike from Vancouver. And the biggest thing to like is that they got two points for a change. As far as individual efforts go, there were some good ones. I mean, Quinn Hughes, I thought, looked the best he's looked in a while. Uh, you know, we obviously talked about Casey the Smith and how solid he was in net. And I thought Niels Hoaglander and Vasily Putkolzin both really showed well, the two youngsters getting opportunities and making the most of it tonight. Yeah, I thought, uh, and even before Talkit said it post game, I thought that. Hoaglander was probably their best player. And I thought that Pod Colson looked really good as well, that he looked, he looked comfortable. He looked um, uh, certainly not in over his head. He seemed to be doing the right things. Now, keep in mind, we, we were saying, or at least I was saying the exact same thing about Baines, uh, you know, when he came up, how, how he didn't look in over his head. So, you know, you don't know, uh, about, you know, sustainability, but it was a good start. It was a good start for Vasily. I thought uh, both Ronick and Hughes were, were really good tonight, uh, better than they've been in a long time. And I think, I think Hughes is, has quietly, I, I don't want to say a free pass because it's not like he's getting away with, with anything because he wants to win more than anybody. But, you know, with all the attention recently on, on Pedersen and there's obviously other guys that have struggled. Lindholm comes to mind. Uh, Mikheyev, you know, it feels like he's never going to score another goal in the NHL right now. I think with a lot of the stuff going around on it, it maybe there hasn't been as much attention on Quinn Hughes not playing as well as, as he's capable of playing, certainly not playing at the level that he was playing for most of this season. Uh, the last couple of weeks. And I think, I think that's a factor with many players, especially really good young players of trying to do too much. I also think in his case, 
uh, as again with some teammates, he's just looked worn out at times. Like he's looked tired mentally with some of the decisions, some of the plays he's made on the ice and, and his skating hasn't been uh, quite at the same level. I thought, I thought both of those guys, both of those defensemen were really good tonight. I thought the Canucks defense generally, I thought Juleson was, was good tonight in knowing when to be physical and, and when not to be, I thought Zadorov had a strong game, uh, which, you know, they need with now Myers out of the lineup and Susie not yet back. Those are two really big experienced players that this defense is, is missing now. So I thought the defense was good. And I, uh, I guess I would agree again with talk it's assessment where, you know, they win this game and it's not like they had these superstar efforts or anybody had a, had a brilliant night. But they they just had a lot of guys grinding, a lot of guys doing the things you need to do to win a two one game. So you know that's that's all positive stuff. You would think in a game like that where we get to use the grind word uh, that someone like Ilya Mikheyev you know would, would potentially shine. And I, again, I I thought it was okay. The the, the fans and textures uh, don't necessarily agree, but with with the new look lines and everything like that, uh, how do you think he he fared with Miller and Besser? Well, I thought I thought he was skating fine. You know, he he had uh, trying to think exactly when it was second uh, was it third period? No, anyways, he had he he came in off on left wing and had was set up, got the puck in at pace and fired a quick shot, and he hit the geographic center of the goalie. But you know, it was it was a good burst, and it and it was it was a good sign. Uh, I don't know that, you know, right now with, with his lack of confidence that there is a, there is a good style of game for him. I don't know that, you know, a grinding game versus a game with maybe more open ice and there's more scoring. I, I, I just think right now he's probably in his own, in his own way mentally because it's, it's been so long since he scored uh, he wants to do so well. Like sometimes it, it kind of bugs me, and and you know not everyone's like this, but when uh, players who have earned the criticism, and certainly he has, also get sort of uh, disparaged as they don't care or they're not they're not trying. Yeah, because if you recall, this was a guy who was literally close to tears last year when they took him out of the line, when they finally shut him down in that game near, in late January and he, he came out and talked. And I know there's a language barrier, but he was, he was literally fighting back tears. That's how much he wanted to keep playing for this team. And at that stage, there was almost nothing to play for. And yet Ilya Mikheyev still didn't want to come out of the lineup. So, you know, he cares a lot. At times, as I say, they they get in their own way, and I think he's just a guy who's who's kind of fighting it in every sense right now. Like nothing is easy for Ilya Mikheyev right now, but it's not that he's not trying, and it's certainly not that he doesn't care that he's in this slump. Unlike Ilya Mikheyev, you make this look very easy as always, Ian. Appreciate ah. your time. There we go. Here's a nice cheesy one to sign off with tonight. How's that? 
It is. It is. <laughs> uh, but, but I like that, Seth. Yeah. It's part of your. It's part of your repertoire. The cheese. <laughs> a little cheese. A little cheesy segues from time to time. Uh, but Ian, we. Uh, I know you got to run too. We appreciate your time, uh, and we look forward to chatting with you on Tuesday. It'll be a late one though, because seven thirty puck drop in L.A. against the Kings. Yeah, I I hope that I'll be talking to you on Tuesday. You're, yes. Are you going to extend the, the we are. game show? Does it go? Okay. We're going to midnight. I should be good. So we'll get you and on after 1130, if yeah. possible. As relaxed as I am covering this game, because it's a 5 o'clock start, I'll, <laughs> I'll be overwrought and, de- depending on how the game plays out, panicking on Tuesday night. But I'll look forward to talking to you at the end of it, no matter what happens. Uh, But we look forward to reading the end product on sportsnet.ca, as always, in the end as well. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate your time. All right. Good night, fellas. Uh, That is Ian McIntyre. And as always, Ian McIntyre is a presentation of Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Well, that brings us pretty much to the end of the show here. Um, And just quickly before we get out, I think the big topic is going to be Tuesday against the LA Kings. What type of performance do you want to see against LA? Does it have to be overwhelming? What does it have? Does it just, does it just have to be a victory? Because it seems like we're at a point now where, and I think it's fair to look at the team, it's about process and where you're heading towards. Sure. Not just about the results. The results matter as we've kind of been going through here, but how are you viewing that game against the Kings? I want to see a commitment to their game, their identity. Because we know what it can be, right? Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily heavy like a Vegas or L.A., but they can be tenacious. They can be relentless. And it waned here through this recent stretch. So if they're back to this stage where, where they're skating, and we know they're not the fastest, but they skate yeah. reasonably well, and just generating turnovers and, and, and just making things difficult. It, it looked easy for LA when they came to town and the Canucks made things harder on themselves. Get back to the, that and, and and they'll be themselves. Can yeah. I chime in on this yes. real quick? Yes, Eddie. The word that comes to mind to me is smart. Canucks need to play a heavy smart mm-hmm. game. Yeah, no bad stick infractions or, or well, not just bad that. pinches it's, too. It's with the puck. Yeah. And LA won tonight, what, five one over New Jersey. And I watched the goals earlier today. And what I saw in that game, at least four of those goals from LA are from smart, good positional defense and quick transition into offense. L.A. forced New Jersey into mistakes, and they ran it down their throats. Mm -hmm. And the Canucks got beat that way last week. They can't do that on Tuesday. Yeah, that's a good point, Eddie. And uh, we'll see if the Canucks are able to play a more complete game against the Kings. 7.30 puck drop. That's fast. Eddie Gregory, fantastic stuff, as always, producing the show. He's Bick Nazar. He's off tomorrow. Josh Elliott-Wolf in on the People's Show. So we'll see you again on Tuesday, Bick. Fired up. All right. Uh, great stuff. Thanks to all of you listening, participating on the phone boards, also texting in. We're just listening and enjoying the show as always. Appreciate every single one of you. This has been the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by the number five orange on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.